As I said earlier, I'll be preaching from Mary's words, sometimes called the Magnificat or the Song of Mary. But uh, let me back up and read the announcement that is given to, uh, to Mary so we understand what is, what is happening in her life. I'll begin in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most uh, son of the highest and the lord god will give him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end and mary said to the angel how can this be since i do not know a man the angel answered and said to her the holy spirit will come upon you the power of the highest will overshadow you therefore also That holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The angel departed from her. It goes on to tell about Mary's visit with Elizabeth, and now taking up with verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and announced good news to her. It was the good news that the long-awaited Messiah was about to be born. This is the grandest moment of all of history. The King of Kings and Prince of Peace is coming into the world. This is the very Son of God, the Savior, becoming man so that sin may be laid upon him. 
became man and took up his task to bring salvation to the world and to you and to me. The way that Jesus entered the world is unique and significant. And just by way of introduction, let me call your attention to this, because there are many remarkable things, starting with the appearance of an angel. We have come to even treat this as commonplace, but this is far from common, that an angel would appear, let alone come and to announce the birth of Jesus, who would be born of a woman, born of a virgin, a woman who had never been married and never been with a man. Such a birth is a medical miracle. It has never happened before, and it will never happen again. He was born this way for a number of reasons, but one of them was in fulfillment of the promise that was made long ago to Isaiah. There, God said that he would be faithful to all of his promises, and as a sign of that faithfulness, he said that the virgin would conceive and give birth to a son. It was also significant in that it makes clear that Jesus is the son of the Most High God, that he is free from the guilt of original sin, that he is God and man. What a glorious announcement this is. While there's much to be said about that announcement, I want to meditate today on Mary's response Don't you just love what she says? It is full of faith and joy at this glorious event. It is full of the gospel. The promised Savior has finally come. That's my intent today, is to to think of what Mary's praise is, to declare that Jesus has come to save sinners, all so that we may do as Mary does, that our souls would magnify the Lord. There are four stanzas that we'll look at. The first is verses 46 through 48. I'll summarize it by saying, praise God for the coming of the Messiah. Mary starts her song by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit is rejoiced in God my Savior. Remember that through the angel, God announced to Mary that she had been shown favor that she had been blessed by God to be the mother of the long-promised, long-anticipated Messiah. This is the one that God had promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden and then throughout the rest of Old Testament history, all this anticipation for the one who would come to save us from our sins. And the news is breathtaking Once more, let me just observe that these are words that are very well known to us. Those of you who have been born and raised in the church, you may even know know the, the story by heart about the coming of Jesus Christ, of his birth in in the stable, of the angels coming and glorifying and telling the shepherds of the coming of Jesus Christ. But it can be so well known that we we may treat it as common. Let me remind you that this is far from common. It is indeed a miracle. So Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. In other words, from the depths of her being, she is 
filled to overflowing with praise. She can't keep it in at all. She is so happy with this news. My soul magnifies the Lord. She had a very clear and sober understanding of, of who she was, which comes through in her initial fears of the presence of the angel. That angel's presence was a representation of a me- not a representation, he was a messenger from God representing the Lord himself, representing the, the holiness of God that, uh, that Mary could not compare to. She didn't reach to try to grasp that herself. Her initial fears demonstrate that she knew that she needed this Savior that was promised herself. She was admitting that she needed to be forgiven and grasped that this promised child would be the source of that salvation. And so she goes on and says, For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generation will call me blessed. I've called attention to the fact that, that, uh, that Mary understood that by the angel's presence that she herself was being brought into the presence of a holy God. But note that if you look back, she says she was troubled by the angel's words. She says that or the, the angel had said that you are highly regarded, that you have found favor with God. So here is Mary, a, a young woman of low social status, who is receiving words that are of uh, 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 ought to be given to something, someone more highly born, at least in, in Mary's mind it might seem. But uh, in the end, the most troubling thing about these words don't rise just out of her lowly position, but because of that realization that Mary has that she herself is a sinner. So there was alarm. There was uh, an aspect of these words that made Mary shudder. And it's a, a response that actually typifies uh, throughout the Bible those who come into the presence of the holiness of God or those who are confronted by the angels of the Lord. You might think of Isaiah who throws himself down in the presence of the Lord, saying that he is undone because he is not holy. And I make this point because Mary is correctly understanding that she herself needs to be cleansed, that she herself needs this Redeemer that was promised that she would somehow miraculous be the mother of. And I say this, because of some of the opinions about Mary that have come from the Roman Catholic Church. Mary says in her praise that all generations will call me blessed. The Roman Catholic Church has used this phrase to to elevate Mary to somehow being, uh, uh, being above the common person. We talk about Jesus being the, so we, we know Jesus as being the Son of God, but the Roman Catholic Church will speak of Mary as also having a sinless nature and elevating her to 
also be a mediator between God and man, kind of uh, going around Jesus Christ as the one and only mediator. But unfortunately, they have misread Mary's statement and they've misread the context. That's why I've called your attention to the fact that God has shown favor to Mary, not because of her righteousness, but the blessing of of her being the one who would carry Jesus in her womb. Not because she was sinless, not because she was somehow to be a mediator for us, but because of that gift of Jesus, that the coming Messiah would be born uh, by her. So instead of looking at Mary as a mediator, Mary says, no, I'm looking to Jesus myself as do we. Like Mary, you need a Savior from sin. Like Mary, you need Jesus, who was born by Mary. And like Mary, you can praise God that Jesus has come. In fact, may your soul magnify the Lord, who is your Savior. Let's look at the second phrase, verses 49 through 50. I'll summarize this by saying, praise God for his holiness. Here's what Mary says. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary moves from her personal experience of God's goodness to speak of how mighty and glorious God is. He who is mighty has done great things for me, says Mary. She acknowledges that and recognizes that that the Lord has acted in her life. And even though she is lowly, even though she recognizes her own sinful nature, she also recognizes the grace of God that is being applied to her and magnifies God for that. And this is remarkable in that Mary's personal experience is tied, in Mary's words, to to God's faithfulness and power and mercy that run throughout all of history. And that's true for each one of us today as well. Almighty God has done great things for you. Mary knew this, and you know this too. It is indeed Almighty God who has acted on your behalf, the very same God who brought the world into existence just by speaking. This great God has shown you favor. He has done great things for you, this almighty God, the one who freed the slaves, the one who called Abraham, the one who destroyed the world with a flood. This same God is your God, has done great things for you. And Mary's expression reaches a climax with the sentence, holy is his name. And this deserves a little bit of attention. Not often do we 
talk about someone who, in this way, holy is his name. It, uh, the, the closest thing that I could think of is in talking about sports figures, where, where we might give, give names about, uh, about their prowess. For instance, we have King James, uh, LeBron, who is uh, the king of basketball. Uh, we could say the king is his name, or basketball is his name. But Mary says of, of God, holy is his name. One commentator describes it this way, that Mary's words are meant to describe as him as being lifted infinitely high above all things, especially to be completely untouched by sin. Striking to realize how God is distinct from us and from all of creation. It is tempting to come to think of God in terms of what our own minds can grasp. But when we do that, our thoughts will tend to bring God down into an area where where we can somehow try to understand him. And in doing so, we lessen God. We make God less than he is, or even contrary to to who he is. Think of how some people describe him as the man upstairs. He's a kindly old gentleman with a great big beard who gives candy to children. But then he suddenly yells unexpectedly when he gets angry for no reason or seemingly no reason. That's the man upstairs. But Mary says, holy is his name. He is completely free from all evil and wickedness. He is completely perfect in his love, in his grace, in his mercy, in all of his attributes. Then at the end of this stanza, Mary mentions that God's mercy extends from generation to generation. I'll say more about mercy in the next two stanzas because it comes up again. But for now, I want you to just recognize that the God who is holy has shown mercy to Mary and to all who believe in him from generation to generation. He shows mercy to those who are not holy. That's not just Mary, that's you and me as well. And how could he do this? Well, it's because he sent Jesus. It's because the Son became man to take the punishment that you and I deserve. Jesus came so that God might show mercy. Once more we say, may God be praised. Look at the third stanza then, verses 51 through 53. Praise God for his power. Praise God for his power. Here, Mary describes it being exercised against all his and our enemies. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. 
He has shown strength with his arm. Now, Mary is using something that, uh, that runs throughout the Bible. She's not saying that God actually has an arm or a body. You know that God is a spirit, that he doesn't have a body. So in understanding this, we, we need to see, well, what is Mary talking about? She makes it very understandable, doesn't it? God is strong. God is all-powerful. God is able to show his strength in every way he decides so that no one can stand against his power. No matter how strong they are in this life, there is no enemy that can stand in opposition to God. Mary begins to identify some of the ways that God does this. She says that God scatters the proud. She uses a very picturesque word here, a word uh, that we might uh, uh, literally translate as being super bright. If you think about the, the proud, they want to be seen by everybody around them. Sometimes we call them puffed up. They make themselves the center of everything. But as Mary uh, praises God, it makes it clear that God is not impressed with the way the proud boast. He isn't threatened. Instead, he scatters the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. I like the way that, uh, that Mary says this here. Those that are proud have, in a sense, constructed their own reality. The imagination of their hearts makes all of the world revolve around them. But it really is only imagination. It isn't reality. God just scatters that imagination as if it were a, a, a fog on an early morning. He scatters them in, their, in, in the imaginations of their hearts. And it's good for us to hear that because there is something insidious about pride, isn't there? It creeps in to color our thoughts and to shape the way we think about things. This is not something that is merely theoretical. It's it's a common temptation to all of us. Through Mary's word, God confronts our pride. And when we are pride, we try to shape the world around us. We want all things and everybody to come to in line with, uh, with the way we think, think things ought to be. We want things to fit the imagination of our hearts, the constructs of our own little world. But it comes, it comes very clear that there is no room for pride with God. In your pride, you forget that God holds you in the palm of, your hand, of his hand, And he holds all men accountable. On the other hand, Satan would have you become puffed up in your own minds, full of your own importance, of your own agendas. But Mary teaches us to praise God for his power. She teaches us to humble ourselves before the Lord. And what follows elaborates on God's scattering of the proud. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. 
The rich he has sent away empty. And at the same time, the Lord also lifts up the humble. He has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. More could be said about this, but I invite you to reflect on the incarnation of Christ and remember the power of God that is on display, a power that humbles you. And then note Mary's example of how she humbled herself. Having asked questions of Gabriel, she says, may it be as you have said. By faith, she accepted this providence of God. Well, fourthly, let's look at the last stanza, verses 54 and 55. Praise God for his promise. Praise God for his promise. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Here's mercy again. This is an important concept, isn't it? Mercy means that God doesn't punish us as we deserve. He turns away his wrath from us who deserve it, and he can do so because he lays it on Jesus. And he, accepting that wrath, bore it completely on the cross. And so we find here in Mary's words that God sent Jesus because he had promised to show mercy to his children. Mercy to Israel, mercy to Abraham, mercy to Noah, to Adam and Eve. God has promised to bring salvation. He has promised to show mercy. And he has kept that promise by sending Jesus. It says that he doesn't, or excuse me, it says he He remembers his mercy. That's a phrase that might trip you up, making you think that perhaps God would forget you. Or perhaps God would misplace the promise that he has for you. And here that man upstairs is surely a forgetful old man like I am becoming. But God is not. God is not the man upstairs. God never forgets. God remembers always his promises. He knows all things. He sees all things. He is never distracted. He is never overwhelmed by information. His knowledge of all things is perfect and complete. So Mary uses this phrase, One of those phrases that you can find throughout the Bible. In fact, uh, many of those phrases come right out of the Old Testament, and many of them right out of the book of Psalms. And in this case, it is a promise of God to never forget all of his mercy to save us from our sins. It's good to remember that because our perspective can be so limited can become uh, something of tunnel vision because of the circumstances that we are in. We see and we know things that, that are right in front of us. And it is true that out of sight, out of mind is often our experience. But the things that are right in front of us affect us immediately and we tend 
not to see or maybe not to understand God's perspective on our lives. More often than not, we tend to wonder where God is. Or maybe even to ask, God, have you forgotten us? Even as the Psalms do. But he will never forget. He has and he will always remember his children because he has given his son Christ to be our Redeemer. And Mary brings this praise to a conclusion by showing that God's mercy and judgment are a fulfillment of those promises that God made to the fathers. Here I want you to see again that overarching story of the Bible that centers on the coming of Jesus Christ to be our Savior. It's anticipated in the Old Testament. It dominates the Gospels. It is then retold and explained by the apostles after Jesus' ascension. This is the gospel message that Mary, uh, Mary lays out and is the subject of her praise and is the subject of our praise as well. It is wise for us to follow Mary in believing that God remembers his mercy. It is wise for us to follow Mary in proclaiming that he is holy and understanding that we are not. It is comforting to proclaim that God is powerful. And it is our praise to say and to see that God has sent the Messiah. And so I urge you to rejoice. Magnify the Lord. Rejoice in what God has done. In this Christmas season, remember how Jesus came into your life. Think back and tell your children the story of how you learned that you were a sinner and that you needed Jesus. Tell them of those verses that have broken light light into your dark darkness to teach you that there is a Savior, Jesus. Take stock of yourself and Thank God for his favor, for his mercy, for his power. Praise God that he does indeed fill the hungry with good things and cast down the arrogant. And take time to let your soul magnify the Lord, remembering God's faithfulness throughout generation to generation. By praying for the future generations to come, that they too might fear the Lord and see God's faithfulness forever and come with you to praise the Lord for our Savior, Jesus. Let's do that even now. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord God, our souls indeed magnify you. And we bless you who have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. We praise you, O Lord, for this salvation that is ours today and will be ours forever in eternity. We pray, O Lord, that the coming of Jesus Christ would be announced around the world, that we would even be messengers of that. Lord, you have done great things for us, and we long for others to know it. Pray, God, that that message would go out with your power, with your light, announcing your Son. In Jesus' name we pray.
men. I invite you to turn to Psalm 138b. With all my heart, my thanks I'll bring. Before the gods, your praise I'll sing. This goes on to give voice to the way in which we have, can say, God has done great things for me. To reflect on that throughout all of history. Psalm 138b, let's stand to sing.